My history teacher, Mr. Smith, uh, was a gentleman whose uh, figure displayed his love for beer. Uh, had a huge, big, uh, bushy beard. And he tried his hardest to make it an interesting lesson. And to be fair, he did a reasonable job. But when the inevitable happened and someone fell asleep, he would sneak up and give him a big kiss on the cheek. Now, <laughs> apart from probably getting arrested for such actions today... Uh, just let that be a warning to you. We have a bit of a history lesson today, uh, so let me pray as I begin. <laughs> uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your history is not remotely dull and has every relevance to us. So as we uh, look into your word now, we think about the history of your people throughout time. We pray that you would reveal your great love and compassion to those who call on the name of Jesus. May we see him afresh. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our well, first uh, part of this uh, talk is uh, the history of God's people. And as I said, there is literally nothing dull about the Old Testament history. Uh, it is full of intrigue and betrayal and murder and rebellion and love and mercy and rescue. And we could go on. It's an extraordinary history uh, throughout the Old Testament. And Paul here in Galatians wants us to focus in on the most important historical figure in Jewish religion, Abraham. You might know the song. I'm not going to sing it, Father Abraham. He is the father of all of Israel. Uh, he was the one given the promises of God, of blessing, of children, of inheritance, of a land, of, an, of, of descendants who would be his. And if you've been following us through Galatians, then you'll, you'll know that Paul is mid-flow in convincing the Christians in Galatia, uh, both Jew and Gentile, so the non-Jews, that they are all now able to be part of God's chosen people. In a sense, they're all able to be Abraham's children. That's sort of the point he's making. By faith alone, in Christ alone. And he wants to show them now that any attempts they've been making through their own work, through their, their own efforts to save themselves, by seeking justification by works of the law, as he has been explaining, uh, is by their very own logic a disastrous idea. So have a look at verse 21 of our passage today, Galatians 4, 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, so those who want to obey all of the law for salvation, are you not aware of what the law says? In other words, you're going to be, your own logic is, is flawed here. Uh, and many today are in the same trouble, perhaps some of us here. And our own logic will also be shown to be useless if we think we can save ourselves by other ideas outside of faith alone in Christ alone. So the law you hold to will condemn you itself, says Paul to the Galatians. Perhaps he'd say to us that the life you or, or the identity that you hold on to today will condemn you itself. And so he begins with a history lesson. Have a look at verse 22. Uh, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by a free woman. So 2,000 years before even Jesus walked the earth. So this is ancient history even for them. 
Uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah were getting on a bit in age. Uh, they were probably similar age. No, I'm going to. Uh, in fact, we're told that Sarah was beyond the age of childbearing uh, in Genesis 18 and 11, and that she'd been unable to conceive for her whole life. Uh, it's an understandable anguish uh, for her, as it is for many today that can't conceive. And it's a problem she can do nothing about. Uh, It's not just the emotional pain, but particularly back then it it had an economic impact. Uh, It it had issues to do with future security and heritage issues. There's no heir for Abraham. And that's a particular problem because Abraham, as we mentioned earlier, has been promised by God descendants, an inheritance to bless all nations into the future. Uh, Genesis 12. I've put some of the cross-references on the screen because there's a a few references we'll look at from Genesis. It says this, The Lord appeared to Abram, that was his name earlier on, God changed it later, and said, To your offspring, so he's going to have offspring, I will give this land. Speaking of the land land of Israel and where Jerusalem, the holy uh, temple, was built to come. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. But no child comes along. And then by chapter 16 of Genesis, verses 1 and 2, now Sarai, uh, also her name was changed to Sarah later, Abram's wife had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Uh, Well, Hagar, the slave woman who we've just referred to in Galatians, did get pregnant and gives birth to a son named Ishmael. And there's unsurprisingly a little bit of tension between Hagar and Sarah now. Uh, And God is not happy also with the situation because they have brought about offspring for Abraham by human means. Paul here calls it by their own flesh rather than trusting in the promises of God. And so later on, because that wasn't God's plan and it's not the way God is going to fulfill his promises, God does open Sarah's womb. And she does get pregnant, this time with another boy called Isaac. And what's the point? Verse 23, back in our passage, Galatians 4. His son by the slave woman, so Ishmael, born of Hagar, was born according to the flesh, by their own works. But his son by the free woman, Sarah, who gave birth to Isaac, was born as a result of a divine promise. It was was Abraham and Sarah's own efforts to fulfill the promise of God, to save themselves, if you like, that led to the human uh, fleshly decision to produce Ishmael. Isaac, however, says Paul, is literally only born because of the divine will and action of God to make good on his promises. Do you see the the tension, the, the contrast he's drawing between the two? There can be no mistake, he says. Isaac was born by the grace of God, for God's glory alone. Ishmael, on the other hand, can only be a result of human, fleshly, sinful work. So what's the application to the Galatians and to us? That's our second section we'll look at. Uh, It's that there are two covenants. One is slavery and the other is freedom. Have a look at verse 24. 
So taking that uh, history lesson, he says, these things are being taken figuratively. The women, the women sorry, represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. So here is the picture, says Paul. These two women represent two covenants, two agreements between God and man. Uh, God, God and man. Get my hands the right way around. The first is Hagar, the slave. And he explains that in verse 25. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. In other words, Hagar represents what we call the Old Covenant, the covenant between God and the people of Israel through the later leader, Moses. And God gave the law of God, which the the people in Galatia are so keen to, to live by, to Moses on a mountain. Which mountain? Well, you've guessed it, Mount Sinai, the mountain which Hagar represents. And why is this a covenant of slavery? Because when you read the Ten Commandments or or the rest of the law, the onus to get things right is on the the hearer. It's on the person who wants to live by the law. You shall not commit adultery. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength and mind. You will not covet. And so Hagar represents... Uh, if he says the physical city of Jerusalem, where the temple of God is, where the Jewish uh, legal or law system all come together, and where there are people there trying to please God and save themselves through obeying all of the law. And they're going to fall short. Uh, they're in slavery to sin under the law. Just as we would be if we tried to earn salvation with God by getting the law of God right. Just as Hagar is literally enslaved to Sarah. They are children in the line of Hagar, figuratively, enslaved to sin and the law. And so in a sense, all the Jews trusting in obedience to the law to save themselves are enslaved to the very thing they think will save them. If I can just get it all right, I'll be saved. And ironically, they're enslaved to that very thing because they can't fulfill it. And worse, they've missed the new covenant. They've missed that their covenant, the old covenant, points towards this new covenant. And in fact, they've taken the new covenant and nailed him and put him to death on a cross. And that's why Paul earlier in chapter 3 spoke of uh, the, the true descendant of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, the seed who would fulfill the promises given. Uh, so verse uh, 20, uh, 26 in our passage. This now then is uh, Sarah who represents the new covenant. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman. You who never bore a child, break forth and cry aloud, you who were were never in labour. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. You see, we no longer anticipate 
a renewal of the literal city of Jerusalem as a fulfillment of Abraham's promises from God. The new Jerusalem is above, he says. It is where the seed of Abraham truly is, Jesus, the child of Sarah by descent. And there is to be no mistake who is at work in this new covenant. The barren woman rejoices and is glad. In other words, there is no credit to be given to women or to men or to anyone who's ever lived, but credit alone goes to God, just as with the birth of Isaac. Sarah represents the fulfillment of the new covenant in Jesus. And why does she represent this new city? Because her salvation did not rely on her work. Isaac was a a free gift. It didn't rely on you shall not, or you shall do, or you you shall have a child by your own efforts. No, that's to come under slavery. But it relied on the promises of God, I will give you. I will give you a child. Uh, Have a look at the promise uh, God originally made uh, to Abraham back in Genesis 17. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Do you see the difference? First covenant human effort, you shall do, which leads to failure, which is slavery, just like Hagar and Ishmael. Second covenant, God's promise, I will, which leads to success in Jesus, which is freedom for us, just as Sarah bearing Isaac was a free gift and product of God alone. You miss the whole point, Paul says to the Galatian Christians. You miss the whole point of the old covenant. If you try and earn your salvation by it, you'll fail by your own logic if you try and save yourselves. For the first covenant was unachievable by your own efforts, by the flesh. And so you are supposed to recognize that and therefore instead hold on to the promises of God that pointed you to the coming covenant, God's mercy and deliverance through Jesus. And our current culture fails by its own logic as well. Uh, Trusting in our personal identity or or the rights of the one who shouts loudest in in our society. None will save because they all look internally for hope. They all enslave us back to ourselves. Our only hope can be to not put our trust in the flesh, in our own work, in our own actions, in being good enough, but to look outside and hold on to a promise of, I will. It's not do this or do that, and hopefully you'll get it right. That's the old covenant slavery, Hagar. It's a promise that says, I will. And that promise arrived in the Lord Jesus who fulfills the old covenant perfectly. This is where it starts to come together. He did fulfill the Old Testament law perfectly, unlike anyone else could have. 
And so he did fulfill the promises of God. I will freely by God's work alone, for he is divine. If you like, Jesus is a one-stop package. There's nothing else you can add or do to be right with God. And so now now, uh, Paul applies all of this by making uh, two, two more points, I think. So the first one is that they, and we still today, should expect there to be tension and persecution towards new covenant believers and those who often unknowingly hold to the old covenant. So he says, don't be surprised that I've told you this and you're living in a situation where people are arguing about going back to the old covenant and the law and trying to save them. So don't be surprised, that's going to happen. The second one is, sons of Isaac are going to be treated like heirs. So there's good news to come. Persevere. So the first one, expect opposition to the new covenant. Uh, We still see this in our world today, even in our churches. And we'll see it until Christ returns. Verse 29, at that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son uh, born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now, he says. So Ishmael, the son of Hagar, persecuted Isaac, he says, the son of Sarah, uh, presumably out of jealousy, uh, out of a desire to bring Isaac down from his inheritance when he didn't have as much. Uh, We can pick up uh, an idea from some of that story in Genesis 21, 8 and 10. Let me read that to you. It's on the screen. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. So the, 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 the free son is having a celebration. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham, uh, sorry, born to Abraham, was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Uh, perhaps it sounds a bit harsh, to us, but the reality is that Ishmael mocked, Paul uses the word persecuted, Isaac. The boy born out of fleshly attempts to save hated the boy born out of grace and mercy. Ishmael is deserving of his impeding exile, for he chooses to reject the grace of God, and he mocks him instead just as so many mocked the Lord Jesus when he died on the cross. And so it is today, says Paul. Verse 30, but what does scripture say? And he quotes the verse we just read, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. He draws the picture or illustration and applies it to the church the Christian church. Of course those who deny the promises of salvation are going to be jealous or angry of those who claim and believe in Jesus as the only way of salvation. How could it be any other way? Expect it, he says. We shouldn't be surprised by our culture's rebellion and anger that develops year on year, even in our country, against the truth of the gospel. No one wants to hear that we're all sinners. We can't save ourselves. That's old covenant. No one needs to, wants to hear that we cannot save ourselves. No one wants to hear that we are unworthy before God. No one wants to hear that salvation is only 
through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Well, you, you can't say that. What about everyone else? What about the other religions or the Muslims and the, and the Hindus or, or those who are just good people? No, keep your views to yourself. Uh, much of the so-called church in our country even fight against such statements and exclusivity of Jesus alone, faith in him. They exchange the truth of the gospel of Jesus for moralistic teachings or, or just being loving. And it's all about social care and, and that will make us right with God. No, that is to take salvation into our own hands. It is to be a child of Hagar. It is to be enslaved to the very logic that we think will save us. It's the you shall do message. When that message is held up rightly against God and his goodness and his grace and his justice, it will be shot to pieces. It's to reject and trust in the promise of God that says, I will save you through the Lord Jesus alone, through faith in him alone by my work alone. The one heir, the Lord Jesus of humanity, who perfectly fulfills God's law. Uh, the, the one heir who looked into the mirror of God's law, as we've described in previous weeks, and instead of seeing sin and depravity reflected back, he sees his own face, the image of God, the invisible God reflected back as he fulfills it perfectly but who despite his righteousness and his freedom gives it all up to become a slave for us. He becomes a child of Hagar to be mocked and, dis- and despised. And he dies on the cross and after three days he is risen to new life and so then he shares again his glorious and right inheritance. He shares his freedom As we said last week, from slavery to sons. We should expect all the children of Hagar today, uh, whether that's at work or in our families or amongst our colleagues, to persecute, to reject, to mock. When we say we're we're all sinners, we need Jesus. Or when we say our, our only hope of freedom is in Christ. Or when we tell them Romans 3 verse 10 For it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Or Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's Jesus alone. Or John 14.6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Sons of Hagar will reject that message and will naturally hate the messengers. The Isaacs, they'll mock them and persecute them. And God will rightly send them away from himself, as Ishmael was sent away from Isaac. The choices they have made, maybe that's you sat here, will be rightly judged by God 
and they will be sentenced by God for their mockery of Jesus and his grace and the persecution of his people to an eternal punishment in hell. Or, sons of Hagar, of whom we all once were, can become sons of Sarah. How? Simply by believing in the promise of God of salvation in Christ alone. The promise that says, I will. Not you. I will do it for you. Just trust me. And you can become a son of Sarah, free from slavery to sons. And sons of Isaac, our final point, sons of Isaac are treated like heirs. Verse 28 of our passage, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of a promise. We belong to the promise of God. Verse 31, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. In Christ, trusting in the promise of God, we are free. The world needs to hear of this Jesus They need to hold on to his promise that says, I will save you. And believing in his promises is enough. God no longer rightly uh, judges us, but treats us like beloved sons and daughters, heirs of his eternal love, and enter a relationship with him. Yes, facing trials and persecutions now, But when the Saviour Jesus returns, enjoying what we already know to be true, that we are loved, freed, sons and daughters to live eternally with him. Those who have not heard or so far rejected the need of this gospel need to hear this again. We need to cast off any allusions to grandeur or self-righteousness or I can do it, I'm good enough. We need to share this glorious news with those who are still enslaved to sin. Uh, Janet's going to Mitchell's plane to do it. Who are we going to tell of this gospel? Of the promises of God, I will save. We must be be careful not to be drawn into the false logic from our world and our culture around that says you must confirm, you must do this, you need to do that. And we just need to accept God's promises. I will save you. Faith in Jesus alone. Jesus is the one-stop package. He'll, he'll free us from the burden of slavery. He will say, I will, not you will. Trust in my promises and follow me. Let me pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that the Lord Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, all who are enslaved to sin, to rebellion, and I will give you rest. We thank you, Father, that our salvation relies on you saying, I will fulfill my promise. Forgive us when we have tried to earn our own salvation or trusted in too many things of this world. Forgive us for when we haven't trusted your promises fully. Allow us to see the Lord Jesus stand before us, the Jerusalem above to which we belong, the freedom from slavery which we have been given freely, 
allow us to live as sons and heirs, patiently enduring any mockery or persecution we face in this world, patiently and lovingly sharing this gospel with those who still reject you. For we know we are just like them, and yet we have trusted your promise. And may we glorify you by living lives that honour and praise you and trust in you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.